in hotel lobbies, all kinds of places. And okay. I, after we started doing that, I was just like, if you can my hear, favorite thing about podcasting is mm. the background noise. Yeah, if you can hear yeah. the clinks of drinks, especially hotel lobbies, they always sound really, or hotel bars, yeah. they yeah. sound really nice. You get atmosphere. <laughs> it creates yeah. so much atmosphere. Yeah. 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 And like when you get used to a studio, it is glorious when it's like, like you can hear a pin drop. Yeah. But then I think sometimes you lose the atmosphere and the warmth of people being in an environment together. Yeah. We should be podcasting this. Oh, yeah. We should. Well, we are recording. Well, we are. <laughs> and I like that when they put a little prequel before episodes sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome to Reimagining Ceremonies, a podcast by Entheos. I'm Karen Dempsey. And I'm Fred Curtis, and we're here to start conversations about reimagining ceremonies. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Reimagining Ceremonies. My name is Fred Curtis. And I'm Karen Dempsey. And we are absolutely delighted today to introduce and to have with us Veda and uh, all the pronouns. All the pronouns. That's me. Hi, folks. Thank you so much for having me here. I feel like I'm in a very sweet, warm sandwich already. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for Piggy being in the here. Middle. Yeah. Yeah. You were one of the people we like had a pin on being like, we yeah. want Veda in this space. You didn't even know it, but we did. We, Great. Yes, we had our eye on you for a while. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why, and this was kind of part of an introduction I was going to do is I see you as someone who is like one of the leading queer voices in Ireland, someone who stands for so much that I want to be, so much that I've fought to be, and so much that I celebrate about our community. And what I wanted to ask was, and I know that there's other people in the queer community who see you as that, I want to say brave voice, that queer voice who stands up for us, speaks authentically, openly, and is just someone you can be so proud to say, I'm queer, and that's someone at the front of our queer Irish lines. But what I wanted to ask you was, do you feel that? And do you know you stand for so many things for so many people? And what do you stand for? It's wow. kind of, a, it's a, okay, that was like three <laughs> questions in one. In you go with the I deep end. I them all. <laughs> yeah. I feel it sometimes, like, like everyone else, I have my cloudy days where I don't see things so clearly or don't feel so great. So I definitely am not tapping into that energy on those days, but people are amazing. They're so supportive and I get approached <laughs> at the best of times, at the worst of times by people who want to express that kind of um, acknowledgement for the work that we do. And that's what it is to me, you know, it's just acknowledgement for the work. I love the work. I'm very proud of it. And the fact that people enjoy it and that I get some of that reflected glory mm -hmm. <laughs> is I'm comfortable with it. I think yes. also I've worked really hard to be a drag superstar. So um, it's one of the things in my life that I have absolutely no imposter syndrome about. I <laughs> you know that. what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess I can take the praise, but I'm not really big on ego, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I get emotional about it sometimes, um, how sweet people can be. But yeah, it's not, um, 
it's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. I don't think ego is standing up and saying, I know I'm good at this. I know I stand in this space. Ego is so much more complex. Yes. And I think being able to stand up and say, no, I bring so much to this space without my ego. That's not ego. Even though some people may be like, oh, well, why are, why do they think they can say that? But that's actually their ego coming into their space, if that makes sense. <laughs> it does. It does. But you know, it's interesting too, though. Um, I think some of how I work as an artist or artivist is very personal. So mm-hmm. when I came out about my um, HIV status, it was through a song and a video. And a, a lot of the even collaborations I've done, like with Man to Man and the HSC, um, the styling and the vibe all comes from me. And yeah. I am the face of mm-hmm. these You Equals You campaigns. And and at the moment, I'm involved in making a short biopic about 30 minutes long um, about myself, yes. which is also a HIV TED Talk. So I guess I have to acknowledge that, I guess, or at least address that my ego Mm -hmm. (laughs) is certainly you know driving some of my decisions Mm -hmm. but what I really try to connect with is the community and and a positive vibration and you know and what I can do on a good day and what I can just about manage to do Mm -hmm. on a bad day and just move forward without intention you know your I, ego is a gift to the world yes. because it's driven so much forward by the sounds of it. Yeah, I guess there is something of um, about growing up as a queer kid and having to keep so many secrets yeah. and repress so many things about yourself that when I got into drag and became empowered through that as an art form, I spent many years being the definition of a fierce queen, you know, mm-hmm. like an, an mm-hmm. edgy girl, an intimidating girl. Um but that was me finding power in myself mm-hmm. and strength in myself. And I guess one of the nice things about Veda, because Veda is more than a drag character at this stage. Mm-hmm. She's had so many hours of my life, you know, she's she is an me. entity. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess she softened out over the years. I think we saw so much incredible change in our community over my time out on the disco floor that, um, that it just warmed me up so much and gave me so much hope and, and made me realize how much potential there was um, for change in our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard you talking about on, on Pause Vibes, my favorite podcast. Everybody has to listen to that. We're always talking about it wow, on our podcast. <laughs> but I heard you say on, it, on one episode that um, you're not doing the drag, the commercial kind of drag show pieces anymore because you don't, fe- you don't feel it's enough to go into the canteen. Yeah. <laughs> Having a drag queen in your canteen isn't enough anymore. And that, I love the word artivism. Uh-huh. It's phenomenal because of the creativity of art, the drive of art and the creativity of activism and the drive of activism, both just coming together and being the impact that you have on the world. It's so incredibly powerful. And if more people could do that, the world would change without us even doing a whole lot more. Um, which every bit of what you say, I'm like, oh, yeah. we need so much more of this. I've thought about that since saying that. Mm about going into more commercial spaces or doing things with corporates. And, you know, I've been really lucky that through other choices that I made, like making the podcast, I got to redefine what I wanted out of that and change that for myself. That said, you know, the drag queens who still do all of those Mm, gigs, mm. I 
have huge mm. admiration for them and they make change too in a different mm. way. Mm. But mm. I guess what happened for me was I realized that, you know, that I didn't need to exist just as Veda, just as a drag character in the public world. Mm -hmm. And that happened mostly over lockdowns, really, and over the time of COVID when what what I brought to the table was more about being Enda and more about um, being, I guess, a bit more open to people knowing more about me. And I like to say, although I stole this line from the beautiful Michael O'D, I became an open book, the kind of book that people wish they could close again. <laughs> <laughs> Because I just got to a place where I just like to put it all out there. So then going into spaces where um, either we, Robbie and I are very fortunate that we get paid sometimes to come and talk to people, which I think they get a lot out of in corporate spaces, mm -hmm. or going into educational places. We do a lot in universities. And um, that going into that space, I didn't need to be a drag character. I didn't need to have my Veda suit on in order to get these people to listen to me. Mm -hmm. The reason I was there wasn't because I'm a great cabaret performer or a really fabulous dresser or the most beautiful woman in the world in my price range. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was really because of things that I've done to help the community and also because, I guess, because I am an open book and that I'm happy to share my experience, which after 50 years of being uh, queer here in Dublin, um, I kind of feel like I've seen it all. <laughs> I I would actually love to name something at the moment before we dive into all the juicy questions that we want yes, to please. hear your views on. Um, so I kind of said this to Robbie as well, but around the time that you were recording Pause Vibes and I had the privilege of sitting in the room behind the sound desk and just listening to the conversations. I said it to Robbie when he came in to visit us and I was like, you two single-handedly changed my view on HIV changed my feeling around HIV um, in regards to myself I'm negative but in regards to myself the fear I had around it in regards to people I dated in the past who had it um, well I will say didn't date because they had it you know uh -huh. it was I and listening to the two of you and the people you brought on completely switched it around for me and I will literally forever be grateful for that um and I just want to name I'm like because I've been in Veda's presence loads and I'm like such a huge fan as you know but I don't really get starstruck and at this moment in time just having you in this space which is a space I'm so comfortable in I'm a little bit like starstruck listening I to you just it. sit and speak You're so sweet. I'm like oh my god what is this feeling uh, but it is this kind of like I'm such an admirer of you and then when you bring it into this kind of podcast space which I always consider so intimate it's like just hit me going oh my god I get to actually sit and like really listen to you so thank like just thank you for coming in and thank you mm -hmm. for the stuff you've changed in my mind I really put that down to you and Robbie's conversations it's my pleasure it mm -hmm. really is Robbie is a pleasure yes <laughs> we have so much fun <laughs> together and yeah it's been a real blessing uh, the thing about Robbie is it's so easy to make him laugh Mm -hmm. And that has just been perfect for, for me. In real life and also while recording, it's just so easy to make him laugh. And that breaks so much tension. Yeah. And when this stuff that you're dealing with can be quite heavy or when people can feel, you know, like 
a great relief or, or release when they talk to you about their HIV story. It's really nice to be able to balance that with like lighter moments. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm such a clown. So when I, I say that we really enjoy what we do, we really do. And that's what makes it so easy, I guess. Yeah. Go for You're it. two phenomenally deep thinkers, yourself and Robbie. Wow. <laughs> I mean, did you know that? No. <laughs> no. I always am astounded by how smart Robbie is. And yeah. that's, you know, that's where I would be <laughs> with that. Well, I, I mean, we actually talked about this the other day. I was saying about how, I mean, Robbie, Robbie's ears are burning wherever he is right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. But um, like Robbie makes, he has these phenomenally complex thoughts that he gets across in the most concise way. He makes like, uh-huh. Maybe five little train station stops along the way to the destination. And each little stop is needed to help get you there. Totally. Um, and then you come in with this wisdom and this deeply thought and felt through understanding of trauma, stigma, and shame. And I was hanging on both of your every words on, on every episode of that podcast because it is so rare that anybody goes there. People will say the words trauma, stigma, shame, da 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 da, but actually getting into what that means for people, um, it's hard to even put words on it. But I mean, in an Irish context, in the Irish national psyche, when it comes to trauma, stigma, shame, you're sitting here in front of us wearing Sinead O'Connor's beautiful tribute T-shirt, sure the Irish princess T-shirt, and you've only just mentioned you are a big fan of Sinead O'Connor's, as am I, and. I think even in life, I spent a lot of time thinking about what is going to happen when Sinead O'Connor dies, um, because she had her finger on the pulse of the trauma, stigma and shame of this nation. She catapulted us along a trajectory that a lot of we weren't really ready for. And she did us so many phenomenal favors um, in terms of just clearing the crap and showing us what's really going on. Uh And you do that in a amazing way mm-hmm. through your podcast through your activism through your artivism through being out there as veda through being uh, here as yourself through every possible manifestation that's so kind of you of say being yourself in the world <laughs> and yeah. it's yeah I love and, I, and i love sinead so much mm. and i'm such a fan and to be compared to her in any way i'm here for it i'm mm-hmm. always yeah. here for that yeah um, I would maybe, I know that's something Karen really, that was one of the reasons we really wanted you to bring into the space because what we do is working in ceremonies, we like to understand that beneath every ceremony, there is more than just what's going on with the day. There is shame, there's stigma, there's trauma. These things live within ceremonies and that's why we wanted to bring you on. So maybe to ask a really vague question, could you give us your like top tips on looking at shame, stigma, trauma for our listeners to understand your views on those or one of those words? Uh Uh-huh. I guess. um, I believe that everyone should live a shame-free life up to a point. Obviously, if you do bad things, you're going to feel ashamed of yourself. But I mean that we should all be on a level playing field when it comes to shame and stigma. So I think it's good just to get to know yourself, know what your triggers are and where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in meditation. Mm. And I think knowing what is real and what is just being projected onto you in terms of shame is important, Mm -hmm. you know? And as you mentioned, 
Sinead O'Connor, the elephant in the room, I think, for someone who's 50 years old and Irish and Catholic is the church and how yep. much shame you were indoctrinated into from a very young age, especially a queer kid. Um, yeah, and just to take the time to unpick that stuff, I found like that for the biggest kind of relief in terms of shame that I experienced in my life was when I came out about my HIV status so publicly. And once I had done that, I just became like a very thorough cleaning lady for shame cobwebs anywhere else I could find them in mm -hmm. my life. Whether that be from like the state of your toenails to the fast fashion that you indulge in from time to time <laughs> or whatever it was, just kind of trying to do better in areas that I felt like I could do better, but not leaving any room for shame, especially around sex, because mm -hmm. that is the stuff that they really try to shame you with the most when you're yeah. a queer kid. Yeah. And also when you're living with HIV, it's something that, you know, people try to shame you with as well, mm -hmm. that, you know, you got it through having sex. Everybody's having sex. Everybody's yeah. having sex. Yeah everybody yeah. to me it's more like a sports injury unfortunately and you know some people have them and some people don't yeah. so <laughs> once you get into that mindset i think you can be a lot kinder to yourself so that would be my top tip um when it comes to stigma dealing with yourself is always going to be the hardest one and once you've dealt with yourself everybody else is a lot easier and um, people living with hiv experience an awful lot of self-stigma because of the history of hiv because it is um so closely associated with death and, um, and with loose morals and with mm -hmm. intravenous drug use. Well, firstly, the loose morals says who, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. um, and death. It's a really sad thing what AIDS did to our community. Um, and it's good to acknowledge that, but people who are newly diagnosed in 2023 can't be expected to carry the legacy of generation mm. that went before yeah. them when the realities of living with HIV um, nowadays are so different. So everything that we can do in terms of stigma to tell our stories and to give um, faces to those stories and to stand up and not have shame um, is an incredible tool, is an incredible sledgehammer against stigma. So I think once you get your own house in order, and I can tell from activists that I know and uh, pause people that I hang around with, you can see them grow, you can see them flourish, you can see them blossom. And when they blossom, they're ready. And that tends to be when they come to us to want to record with us or come to some of our events or even come and march at Pride. Mm. And yeah. it's really like a beautiful thing. And I think that is a result of dealing with their own self-stigma that's the journey you yeah. know do you think dealing with something that might be considered like trauma like it, it wouldn't be anymore as you were saying but hiv maybe around the time you were diagnosed do you think being faced with something like that makes you stand up and go right i need to face this head on and it actually becomes a gift in you as you say start cleaning up the house within and getting to know yourself hopefully you know, the, the sad thing and really the surprising thing to me was, is that when we were recording episodes with people living in Dublin who were absolutely happy and ready to come out about their status, still the amount of um, suicidal ideation, mm -hmm. um, self-medication, drug abuse, uh, sex addiction, the amount of, of 
challenging and dark things that we encountered that people still are going through now um, because we still haven't done enough really to destroy the stigma associated with living with HIV. What's amazing to me is resources like the podcast, it's like a catalyst to getting through that stuff much quicker. Yes. And that's what makes me passionate. So passionate about it is that I hear from people all the time who really have gotten an awful lot of help with dealing with that. And the sooner they get there and tune in and the sooner they reach out to us, I think the outcomes are better. But that's still where we're at right Is it fair to say, like, because I'm an avid listener of Pause Vibes as well, that but as the series went on, there were a lot more younger people coming forward and being like, okay, I'm happy to talk about this. But really confidently like i'm so amazed by the younger generation and the confidence i think there's a balance that needs to be found sometimes but it it was so wonderful to see so they're obviously are getting there quicker oh, for sure shout out to you know adrian duggan who i adore mm. who's one of our youngest who um discovered he was living with hiv at the age of 17 wow. in his final year in school and is a nursing student now and is an amazing activist and out person and is playing me yes. in the film about <laughs> wow. my life, which is great too, which is great artivism in itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, young people are amazing. Aoife Cummins, who is a young woman from Galway, who's also a nurse and living with HIV, she came out on our podcast too. And, and one of my favorite episodes is Angelina Lovelace, my drag daughter, yes. who... Um, who went through the same kind of trauma and process that we all went through, but in about four weeks, <laughs> wow. Know, yeah. wow. maybe two months in total from That's receiving right. diagnosis to coming out about her status and, and achieving an undetectable viral load. Two wow. months, wow. you know, <laughs> that, that blew my mind. But again, she gives some of the credit to... Robbie and I and the podcast and that she already knew about me and our stuff before she received mm-hmm. the diagnosis. She knew where to go, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is amazing how young people can deal with it better. And I guess that's what we're trying to achieve. And I guess that's where we're reaching for is that everybody can just deal with it better and quicker and not be so traumatized about it because a, you can't pass on HIV to anyone else once you achieve an undetectable viral load, which is pretty easy to do. And B, um, it's not going to kill you. I always say, I'm going to die of old AIDS. <laughs> 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 I stole that line from Timmy Spence. But you know, it's not. If you stick to adhere to your medication and take care of yourself, which yeah. can be challenging yeah. for all of us. But if you manage to do that, um, you're just going to live as long, happy and healthy life as anybody else, really. Yeah. <clears throat> And it brings us, I think, along to something that we chatted about earlier on, the the AIDS memorial in the park, yes. the HIV memorial in the park. What's mm. the proper title for it? And I'm saying this because I am so excited and happy to hear about this because it is a public display that will be on display in public that will be, I don't know what it's going to look like, but that will be a proud honouring of all of those people who went before and who maybe... I mean, I, I actually, I'm speaking completely with no information on really what's happening. Oh, I can tell you all about it. Yeah, please, I'm, please I'm so excited do. To hear. Because um, all those people who, especially going back a few decades, who were completely unsupported in the ways that they should have been supported and in the way that they, the compassion that they maybe did not receive and the love and care. And I think it really resonates because I think of the, 
Again, I'm back on the, the Irish psyche and the trauma, stigma, shame, the, the Magdalene laundries, all of the, the, the mother and baby homes, yeah. all of that. All of these people within our Irish society who died neglected and who went before us and were not honoured at all by Irish society, that now hopefully we can maybe do, it's, it's, it's after the fact, but that we can do something to honour them and to some, something to try and make sure, and it's still too soon to even say this, but to try and make sure that we do better in future. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think maybe telling us about about yes. the yes. memorial Sorry, that, would be wonderful. Around the world before no, I, actually, I love it. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> thinking of the listeners and people <laughs> yeah, being like, yeah. oh, but what is it? Yeah. <laughs> you inspired me with so many thoughts there, actually. And the first one I thought of was that I go to the Ivy Gardens a lot. It's close to where I live and I love it. And I came out to one of my closest friends there at very near the start of my journey about my HIV status. And she was the best person in the world I could have told and has been incredible from that day till now. Um, but so I call it the HIV gardens. <laughs> um, so I was thinking about that, how a space, you know, it's so important to have a place really where maybe you can deal with these things specifically at, like a ceremony where you go, I'm mm. going to go to this place and I'm going mm. to talk about how I feel about this particular thing. And that, HIV AIDS Memorial is definitely that. It's somewhere where people can go in small groups and, you know, and hang out and talk or in larger groups to make, you know, commemorate mm. people together. Um, it's in the Phoenix Park, not in the HIV Garden. <laughs> the artist names will be added in the footnotes because I'm terrible at stuff yes, like that. Yes, we can do that. Basically how it worked was we went into the Taoiseach's office and, you know, we saw some plans that were all paper plans in the round one. And we got it down to, you know, maybe I think about 12 entries from about 50. And then we got Lego type, you know, <laughs> model sculptures <laughs> for the next round. And they were fun. And then we got it down to to what is now going to be the memorial. Um, making decisions by committee is challenging. Mm-hmm. I'm not great at that. Uh, <laughs> listening yeah, to yeah. people when you're not necessarily... When in, you know the right answer. In support of what they're saying <laughs> is challenging for me too. But, you know, tongue-in-cheek, Rory Panty was there, Rory O'Neill with me. We always sat together and we were the bad girls in <laughs> yes. school. And we had a laugh and, you know and did our thing. And ultimately the winner is what I like to call the rusty rim. And basically (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's like a very elaborate and sexy sculptural park bench that would be, um, reminiscent of the red ribbon lying down. If you know what I mean? It's very beautiful. It's going to be, um, steel and it's going to be rust red over time. Mm. It has, uh, I think they're beechwood uh, seating panels kind of set into it so people can sit in a circle together or you can mm. sit beside a friend. Oh, wow. We love a circle. Um, yes. And it's, it's quite glam. I quite like it. I don't know if it was my favorite, but like I say, it's a committee decision. And it definitely was when you take into consideration everybody's opinion, it seemed like the smartest choice. And when it comes to the red ribbon, People can have different varying opinions about the red ribbon. And I know some people and certainly some younger people living with HIV don't love it because it symbolizes uh, so much loss to a lot of people mm. or it makes it seem like we're a charity, that we mm. need mm. charity mm. when really we're taxpayers and we just get some very inexpensive medication 
you know, yeah. from the government. As, you, <laughs> so, as, as well deserved as everybody in the country who needs expensive medication. Who needs medication. Deserves their medication. It's not even yeah. expensive, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So from that point of view, you know, they don't like it. But I always think that, you know, I, I like emojis and I like symbols. And I feel like it's a symbol that is universal. We all know what it means. Um, I'm, I'm, so it's a great way for people to connect with the bigger picture, which is not only commemorating the people that we lost, but also a space maybe where people who are now living with HIV could hang out mm. or get mm. together or have some kind of ceremonies. Mm. And hopefully all of the community will like it in some way. You know, yeah. it's grown on me. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have dates of when yes. it will be? Third of December oh, in fab. Phoenix Park. Is that World AIDS yeah. Day? It's actually two days after okay. World AIDS Day because the first is, yeah. So many people involved have World AIDS Day stuff. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's the Sunday after, which I think is a nice day, like yeah. a Sunday afternoon sort of event. Oh, amazing! Oh, yeah, that's going to. I the think it's week. also yeah. going to be the same date as the Curtis Cabaret. Oh, amazing. so maybe amazing. I'll get the whole cast yeah. to go down there, and then we'll amazing. go off. Yeah, a little cabaret carol singing. Yeah, perfect. How would you like like to in this in this moment before it's a thing? Um, how would you like it to be used by, let's say, the community? I love the idea of it being a place where people who are living with HIV can just hang out sometimes yeah. for whatever reasons they might want to. Um, or it could be a great like reveal where if you want to share your status with someone, once you take that the right turn off the path in the, in the Phoenix mm. Park. And then people you know, know and they can prepare themselves. Yeah, okay, so like it's that. like, well, I think I know where we're going. Yeah. You know, where we're going with this. I think it could be a great place for that. Or, yeah. you know, but also for people to go and think about people who they've loved and lost. That's what I was going to say. Mm. I yeah. would love to visit it. Because I'm such a believer in remembering our history, our legacy, while not holding on to it, like remembering it and remembering the remembering the people who were neglected, like you say, mm. but at the same time not living by it, because I don't think that's honoring them if we uh -huh. live by all of that. Mm. But I like that idea of going there and sitting and just, you know, thinking of that time. And, mm. you know, as a queer person who was very, very young when that time was going on, I suppose, finding a way of connecting with your history, which I do think is important. Do you feel it's important for younger people to connect with their history? Or do you think, live your life yes, now? Yes, on Grindr. <laughs> connect, connect with your history right now on Grindr. <laughs> and I'm your history. Um, I was thinking about the rusty ring, and I've got to stop saying that. But um, I was thinking about how um, my dad, before he passed away, um, was helping me to renovate my home. And... One of the things he, we were doing together was the front garden and he asked me what I would want. And I said on a whim, like I always do, a big rock that I could sit on. Um, and he said, like what? So I actually Googled the mermaid the in little Copenhagen. Mermaid in Copenhagen that's what I was oh, thinking. Yes. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, kind of like this, I guess, but maybe more sculptural. And then he had quite a big business, an engineering business. So, you know, when I say that, like, I don't know how many guys got off this truck and heaved this rock. giant rock, heaved it like, like ancient <laughs> Egypt has come to Dublin, a, heaved this rock and, um, and then drilled it through couple of rocks and put an iron bar 
through them, cemented them and mounted wow. one rock onto another in a way that, you know, would be totally safe and yeah. be there. And he said when it was done, this will be here long after I'm gone, you know, uh. which was true. And he mm. knew it. Um, and I thought about that the other day a little bit in this last me- meeting about the memorial was mm. once we had a date, an actual date, and I was thinking about the ceremony, the opening ceremony, I realized that I, it will be there long after I'm gone. Mm. And maybe I'll be one of the people that they gather to remember, you know, mm. which is a nice thought too. That mm. is a nice thought. Mm. That is beautiful. I think if I was designing it, I would have gone for a U equals U bench. Uh-huh. The thing about that is, and I, you know how much I support a you equals you message, is that those kinds of things change a lot over time. And now they're already promoting this new expression, which is called zero risk. And pretty much the same people who brought you you equals you are now (laughs) shifting towards zero risk. So much as I would love a you equals you sculpture and bring it on, it could be out of date, I yes, guess, in a, really a way, in in a relatively short yeah. space of time. We should have one, but maybe not there. And I'm not any <laughs> sort of an architect, but the reason I, I think I even said that was because I wish everybody could just understand yeah. what it really means, what a HIV, and I'm going to use the word diagnosis now, and I don't know how you feel about words like diagnosis and disease and things like that. Oh, well, diagnosis, 100%. Well, diagnosis, fine. Disease, disease, not so much. Yeah, because I've got a Pisha, and people a call disease. it a Pisha a disease. I'm like, feck off, it's not a disease. It's, yeah, it's not oh. a disease. Mm. We have these dicky languages. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's an infection. An infection. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, what it, what it means to live with HIV, say, and um, as I was imagining what it must be like if you're in a workplace, this, again, it comes back to stigma and trauma, stigma, shame, but stigma, and if I'm living with HIV and I'm in my workplace, do I disclose or not? Because if I disclose, I then have the burden of trying to make sure that everybody understands that you equals you, there's zero risk, risk that I'm, yeah. I'm the same as anybody else. But society hasn't got there yet in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. And the heteronormativity of society is just, it's like Sisyphus pushing a rock up a mountain all the time, uh-huh. trying to get beyond that heteronormativity. And you, you mentioned it earlier on around um, the morality around sex and the moral judgments. And I mean, and that maybe the queer community gets burdened with that. Where it's like people, everybody's having sex, but there's this yeah. ridiculous moral judgment on it. Um, I don't know oh, if it's a burden exactly. anymore. I love the <laughs> youth, the queer youth, and I love the sex positive movement. And I think it's very real, very apparent. And um, yeah, so I think the queer community actually just gets to uh, prioritize pleasure and celebrate sex in a way that unfortunately um, our straight counterparts don't do as often or as much. Not not that they don't do at all, but but don't do They do more so maybe behind closed doors without being as open. Yeah, or even just don't get encouraged to really explore that stuff because of hang-ups. So they're just kind of silly. Which means then that they don't get to explore things like consent and like mutuality and safe sex and education. And I know around HIV rates, um, it's in the... Am I right in saying it's it's heterosexual women that are coming up in numbers? Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. That's around education people. Heterosexual people in general, you know, but, but women certainly are way on the rise because it used to be much more of a, a men's uh, problem. Mm. And now it's, you know, it's 50-50, it's completely equal. What's stunning about it all is that there's this sort of like ignorance is bliss attitude amongst the straight mm. community. Yeah. And it's wild to me because it's the statistics show that it's coming for you. 
Yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. Look it's at the just statistics. a fact. Look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the reasons that people don't test and don't talk about you equals you are dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. that not only are they old fashioned and mostly they're to do with misogyny or racism, yeah. um, but they're also just dangerous. Yeah. I, we had one amazing interview with a straight man who's living with HIV. He was very out and active about talking about it. And they're as rare as hen's teeth. Um, mm-hmm. And he was wonderful. And there was so much positive about his story that I love so much. Um, which also was that he, through explaining you equals you to women that he was dating, really got to educate them about that, which is something that they didn't really know mm-hmm. before. And he uh, basically said that, because he had learned to do it the right way and because so many men have a difficulty talking about sex and being open and honest about it, especially before you've had it with this person, mm-hmm. um, that it was a total panty dropper. That he had sex with all of these women, you know, pretty much. <laughs> that, that the people who had a problem with it were actually yeah. the exception, not the rule. Because yeah. once they verified the science for themselves... Um, you know, they're just like, wow, this guy is, is emotionally intelligent, Mm -hmm. respectful, honest, you know. Oh my God. Transparent. Where are they? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but do we have enough knowledge, um, medication around HIV that it is on its way to, can I say eliminate or? Oh yeah, you can say it and and hear, hear for it. But unfortunately we don't. Um, Robbie and I were in Sydney for World Pride and they are in track, on track in Australia to having zero new HIV diagnosis. They're the world leaders. They've Mm -hmm. been the world leaders for a long time. We were so blessed and so embraced by various NGOs there, literally by the top people. And we got to go behind the scenes into their offices and go on all kinds of amazing adventures at the um, Human Rights Conference in Sydney and really soak up incredible stuff. That's my long-winded answer. (laughs) But, you know, but we really did. And we're very, very far behind that here in Ireland, unfortunately. But it's great when you get to go beyond the rainbow and see it and you know Mm. it can be done and you can see all the various ways that that they got there. Um, Mm. Yeah, but we don't have a great prep program here and and the rollout's been disastrous. So firstly, there's that. We definitely need a lot more prep. And then we just don't have a lot of resources around education. Um, in schools, we don't have the proper education Mm -hmm. in schools in place anyway. And we don't have, um, amazing campaigns. We're working on one at the moment with Empower and the HSC, which I'm really excited about. So I'll give the HSC credit for that. (laughs) We said there were no appropriate campaigns and ta-da, they put me in a couple. For so, like, mm. fair enough. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? I said it, so there you go. Um, and now they're going to be bringing out a new campaign that's going to be featuring our Pause Vibe tribe members, oh, wow. our our guys who are out living with HIV. Is this particular campaign is for gay men, by men, men who have sex with men? So that's why I say our guys, mm-hmm. not yeah. because we don't work with women or because women don't live with HIV. Of course. <laughs> Speaking of women living with HIV, <laughs> in yes. answer to your question too, um, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face for 
people in general living with HIV is that um, it's still not always safe to disclose your status. And for women, mm-hmm. especially, it can be dangerous. And that's because of a lack of education, really. So mm-hmm. what we find a lot with women who are living with HIV is that um, very few ever get to disclose outside of maybe their partner, even to their own family. And a lot of that is about protecting themselves. And especially if their mother's protecting their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really the emphasis and the onus for action and for activism isn't on any woman living with HIV. And I applaud the women who are out. I love Aoife Cummins. I'm a huge fan of Rebecca Talon to Havilland, and we get to work with them sometimes. Mm-hmm. But outside of them, there aren't any other women in Ireland who are out about their status. And the really, uh, the onus is on us as society to change yes. so that yep. women can feel safe about coming mm-hmm. out about their HIV status, just like the privileged gay boys do. Mm. And I think that's important. It does always have to be safety first. I remember that was such a conversation that was had to me and that I've had with younger queer people when they'd be like, but how do I just come out? I'll just do it. And I'm like, well, just make sure you're safe. Make sure Mm. you're in the right environment. So it's kind of interesting to hear that from the HIV perspective, that safety has to come first. You have to make sure you're in a safe environment. So you're not going to, I suppose traumatize yourself more Mm. yeah you know yes so that's really yeah that's really that's something i hadn't considered actually yeah safety is an important thing and then also of course there's all the usual judgments that other people place on you as if women don't have sex if you're Mm -hmm. gonna have sex you're gonna have stis yeah as simple as that and this whole (laughs) the myth of monogamy the whole like mm-hmm. y- yeah. you can multiple sexual tr- partners or stigma. Um, one and it only takes stigma. one time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah know? Exactly. And uh, yeah. And yeah. Oh, there's so much. There's we, so much that's just a myth. You know, it's yeah. just not really based on anything and, that and really matters. But, and a lot of those myths are based on control yeah. that they're put out there so that they subtly control people to 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 think that you must be always looking for one person and you must spend the rest of your life with that person and you must remain in a committed sexual relationship with that person just to have children blah blah blah, blah. and if you if you let that fall the fallout of that is so damaging to so many people and communities and again it just sustains this heteronormative approach to society where people think that it has to be a man and a woman and 2.4 children and la, 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 in life and it's not mm-hmm. yeah and what's <sighs> always sad to me is that the majority well a, a big majority of women who are living with hiv find out about it because they become pregnant. It's the only okay. time here oh, okay. that we test yeah. for HIV. The woman yeah. is offered a HIV test. Yeah. In fact, is is very much encouraged to have one is when they're pregnant. Can they deny one? Can they say no? I don't know, actually. Okay. Oh, we're into the world of obstetric care, which yeah. is a, there's consent and choice and obstetric care is massively absent. Yeah. So okay. if they want to do a HIV test, they will do it for the most part. Forgive me of my colleagues. I used to work in the Rotunda who are listening to this, but it's a big bugbear of um, okay. of mine. Yeah, consent and choice. It's misogynistic, a huge amount of it. So it's, mm-hmm. a, but it was mostly a routine test. So most people don't even know what they're being tested for. They go in and they get routine bloods and pregnancy. Yeah, I think and they, they don't really all, know until the result comes back. All of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's the only time that they're screened. And a lot of the time, these women are in monogamous relationships. So it's mm. really shocking news mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Um, and that's a really high level of trauma. 
Yes. During your pregnancy. Yes. Luckily, your baby is going to be fine if you're medicated and, and treated. Everything should be fine. And then the hospitals know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if your child is born HIV positive, there is now so many great advance, advancements. We're in the golden age of HIV medication. Mm-hmm. So I don't want anyone to panic or worry. Yeah. Yeah. But those are the circumstances. And those are the women who, that's the story you hear a lot. And... It is the opposite of the stigma version of the story of immoral, yeah. loose yes. women and, mm. you know, people not taking care of themselves or intervenous drug users or, yeah. no, we're talking about a monogamous woman who's trying mm. to have a family, actually. We're talking, not that that makes it any different yeah. Yeah. how you get yes. your HIV, um, but, no. but that is the story that we hear a lot. And it's just funny how the myth and the reality are just so far away. And it's all just caught up with this fear of talking honestly about sex, biphobia, all Mm -hmm. of those things, Mm -hmm. transphobia, um, stigma around sex work, all of those things. We just don't have an honest conversation and we protect people so much more if we had really honest conversations with our partners as well. it's interesting. I, I, one of the facts that blew my mind that we learned at the Human Rights Conference in Sydney was that in a country where sex work is somewhat legalized, you are seven times less likely to become HIV positive. Wow. The that whole ju- of society, that's just proof in itself, isn't it? The whole of societies are seven times less likely because of that simple act which protects sex workers anyway in so many ways, but it just makes testing so much easier, more straightforward. Mm -hmm. And it just makes people have a lot less shame around that stuff. So they are empowered enough to take proper care of themselves and and as a result, take care of everybody else too. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, if you're happy to talk about it and you you don't have to, if you don't want to, um, but your personal journey with sex and you speaking about like having that freedom of being like talk about sex openly with your partner partners with the people in your life with your friends even like you know what you enjoy what you don't enjoy is that a journey you went on or is um like is that something that's only recent is that too personal not at all not at all i'll talk about it i'll talk about anything mention it all (laughs) um no not at all like i think you know um there was no manual. There was no internet. Yeah. There was no, like, you know, there wasn't, like, lashings and lashings of gay porn. Um, <laughs> so there was nothing like that for me as a teenager and in my 20s. It was just kind of fumbling around kind of experiences or, or being with older, more experienced guys is how I learned about sex. Yeah. And I think, you know, I had a lot of hang-ups, really. I'm not saying I didn't have good sex. I did. Um, I'm not saying I didn't have a lot of sex. I did. But... I never felt super confident about it. I think a lot of people don't. And I certainly wasn't great at talking about it. Um, And then, you know, over the years, I uh, got into, I guess, more long-term relationships. And then sex is totally different within a partnership or a marriage. It it ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. and, And it's a different, you have to work at it differently to keep that flame burning. Um, But then our experience was after 10 years together and mostly monogamy of all of that time, monogamish, I like to say, (laughs) um, but, you know, certainly uh, 
just about each other, we decided to open up our relationship like a hell of a lot of queer people yeah. uh, these days. And for all the right reasons, I think. Firstly, I feel like we made so many compromises in order to get equal marriage mm -hmm. and that it messed up our heads a bit. And there's been an unlearning uh, since then and just a, a remembering that we are queer people mm -hmm. and that yes. we are sex positive and that we won't be slut shamed mm -hmm. and that we should do our own thing. We're not worried about whose babies, what and how that's going to affect our inheritance. You know, mm -hmm. the whole reason to worry about that stuff has nothing to do with us culturally. And that doesn't mean queer people can have babies, but that's a totally mm -hmm. different thing. Um, so I think there's just been a shift culturally. And I wanted to be part of that shift for so many reasons, because I'm a horny old dog, <laughs> but also because, um, Last year, my sister passed away and that's really was the impetus to having that conversation with my husband was that I know my coping mechanisms aren't always the best. And I felt like my way of dealing with it, it was like springtime and summer was coming. And I just felt like even in the hardest of times, you can have the best times. And I wanted to go out. I wanted to go to clubs i wanted to go to festivals mm -hmm. i didn't want to just sit at home with my thoughts and he is not really the going out type at all and my fear was that i would have sex with other people or do something and i have to tell him about and that mm -hmm. i'd be ashamed of myself and that i'd be back in that kind of mindset of feeling like i was doing something wrong mm -hmm. so we spent a couple of weeks i guess after i initially put it on the table his response was really positive straight away, but we, we took a couple of weeks and went out for dinner a couple of times specifically to talk about it. Top couple tips sometimes, make a reservation, go out for dinner, <laughs> know what's that. on the agenda. Mm. Yes. There's no avoiding it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're out and about. So Who's taking the minutes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we did that a bit and it's been an amazing decision. So I feel like I've had a complete renaissance when it comes to things mm -hmm. like that because I've never had better sex than I have had in the last while, the last couple of years. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it's been great for our sex life together and it's been great for my sex life in general. And I don't know. Like, you know, I just unlocked something that I, that I really enjoy so much more about myself that I feel so much more confident about. Mm -hmm. And so much of that is about being honest and being able to talk. Yes. To people. Yeah. Obviously, we all get into disastrous hookups sometimes where that doesn't happen. <laughs> but the really good experiences I've had have been about just being able to talk about it and maybe plan it and maybe have a little bit of theater about it or a bit of mm. a performance about it. Try to spice it up, change it up, play around with it. You know, there's so much ownership <laughs> there, though. That's ownership, actually yeah. self awareness, ownership of your wants and needs. And then the transparency and the communication of it, so refreshing. And mind-blowing as well, yeah, because mind -blowing. I won't lie, my boundaries have changed. Yeah. You know what okay. I mean? This is a joke that I enjoy, but um, a David Hoyle joke that he says that um, I'm into anything up to and including piss. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but that kind of thing where, you know, you meet people and you might be really attracted to them and having a good time with them. And they might want to do things that you haven't done before. Yeah. There's a part of me that would be 
more wary of that that I've just learned in the last while just to be more open-minded and the reason is the judgment's gone yeah. if you take the judgment out of it then you think do I want to bring the most pleasure that I can to this person do I want to share mm. the most pleasure and be as intimate as I can with this person well then you know you just want to come at it with a good attitude yeah. and have positive energy <laughs> and give it a go. And a lot of the time I've been surprised at how fun that can be and how what I thought my boundaries were or my kinks were, were not set in stone. We change all the time. <laughs> and even if you find that that is a boundary, at least you've explored that yeah, with yourself. Yeah. yeah. And then again, it goes back to the knowledge is power that you're like, I know that that's a no for me. Yeah. I love hearing you speak about it because it's a, conversation I have a lot with my queer friends um and I don't know my feelings or views I'm not in uh-huh. a relationship but when I get into a relationship I don't know monogamy not monogamy I don't know uh-huh. I would definitely lean towards monogamy because that's what I currently know and feel safe in uh-huh. um but I have these conversations with people who are in polyamorous relationships or throuples or different types of relationships and I really want to listen and understand but I'm listening to but what's behind it like how does everyone actually feel like are people saying when they're like I'm uncomfortable I'm a bit jealous I'm doing all these things and hearing you speak I really get the sense that I'm like okay I'm understanding a bit more just even with the little things of saying make a reservation and go out and talk and put it on the agenda I'm like that's practical advice that I can now further understand more how it actually works. So yeah. I really love that. Good. Well, I like it too. I think it's good advice. You know, my husband's my, my world and we have a huge amount of trust and it's not like it wasn't a bit rough at times, especially at the start, because you have all of this uh, jealousy, you know, that was programmed into you maybe that you mm-hmm. need to process sometimes but if your intention really is to have each other's back a hundred percent and your intention also is to prioritize pleasure when it comes to sex above all other things then you get to a place where you just think i just want him to have an amazing time Mm -hmm. and as long as he's having an amazing time whatever that might be for him great yeah, I have his yeah. back. That's fine. Do you have boundaries with each other about what you yes. speak about? Or is it Absolutely. all on the table? Okay, there's boundaries there. We're very different people, which is part of why I think we work so well together. Yeah. So our boundaries, our approaches are very different. He doesn't want to talk about it. Okay. You know, he doesn't want to know the details of it. And he doesn't want to share the details of it. And just to have a respectful kind of acknowledgement that nobody wants to inconvenience anyone or be in any kind of embarrassing situation where you come home and someone's in your bed or you mm-hmm. know you just want to plan it okay. well yeah um and then i would talk about it and i do talk about it to other people but not to him because he doesn't want to and occasionally something might happen like an sti or something mm-hmm. where i have to talk to him about it to some extent or you know yeah um but he's great about that always amazing about that which blows my mind I love mm. it, but he's mm. always consistently great. No judgment, no yeah. issues, just really helpful. Um, but that's then, come from all the work you've done together and the growth yeah. you've done together. Yeah, and mm. also he's 15 years younger than me, so he's just a lot cooler about <laughs> stuff like that. You know, he just is. Um, 
And then I'm also, I, I'm polyamorous, which I didn't know about myself. I did know it, but I'd never been out in an open relationship. So I didn't really get it. And now it makes so much sense going back over all of my relationships with men. I fall in love really easily. And I really like to have a romantic connection yes. and have like a friendship with mm. someone. And maybe what's great about being married and, and in love with someone else is you can do that and not have to go too far with it. You can have a lovely, you know, like a, a, a fair, a fling and become friends with someone and be clear the whole time that you're going to be friends. And maybe you're going to be friends with benefits or maybe you're just going to be friends. Mm -hmm. And that's how it rolls with me. And I'm genuine about it. So I'm careful about it, who, <laughs> who I date. Yeah. But whether we keep hooking up or not, I am invested in them. I don't play people. And I think that's important too. I think that if you're going to be in an open relationship or certainly be polyamorous, that the more genuine and invested you can be with the people that you're hooking up with, the more likely that you're not going to hurt them. They're not going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, I think it can be very fun and very healthy. It isn't like that for everybody, but I think it's so much better than the alternative. So many people cheat. So many mm -hmm. queer people cheat. Yeah. You know, and people yeah. get really hurt that way. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to ask you about your wedding. Tell me. What, ask <laughs> I, like, when did you get married and how did you get married? We got married in 2014 in oh, the registry ooh. office in Ballsbridge kind of area. Okay. Um, I loved it. I loved the venue, to be honest. I was totally into <laughs> it. Um, and we had quite a wedding. Leo's family came from Brazil and we had a big family wedding in McGrattan's, which is my oh, uncle's yes. pub. And like, I grew up in that place and all of our Christmas mornings and all of those things for, with my grandparents and all my extended family all happened there. And basically when I told my mom, Millie, that we were going to get married, um, I was thinking of something much smaller, a low key. McGrattan's. Mm. Is that your family's yeah, pub? I've just my made name. that connection. I literally yeah. just made that connection too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, oh, I love I'm there. that, that, clan it's even cooler now. yes <laughs> i went on a really great date there once uh -huh. many years ago yes i go uh. regularly honestly <laughs> still and have the best time um but anyway my mom said you should have it at mcgratton's and then the first thing she said was can ali be a bridesmaid that's my niece first words i ever met not congratulations or anything <laughs> first words can ali be a bridesmaid so i'm like sure um and then she said you should have it at mcgratton's and then she wanted to invite all of my uncles and aunts and blah, blah, blah. So once we got there, <laughs> I just said to Leo, let's just do what she wants yeah, to do. Yeah. And then that's what we did. So we had this very big family wedding in McGrattan's. It was really glam. I went to town. I had the best time doing it. I, um, I was kind of responsible more, I guess, for the art direction, decor kind of side <laughs> of things than Leo. And, um, and we had such, so many cute things. We had a very subtle sort of Star Wars theme because he is Princess Leo and uh, I am Vader. Oh my um, so we had this <laughs> subtle Star Wars team and a lot of amazing bunting uh, pictures of him as a kid and me as a kid and us together and drag photos and all kinds of amazing bunting that my friend Dara Kilkenny made. And when his mom came into the room, she like, burst into tears but it was really pretty that McGrattan's is quite kitsch at that time it very much had like that loungy pub feeling so I went with embracing it so I got all these like seat covers that were crushed orange velvet the decor the 
color scheme was a bit wild and weird with a lot of metallic stuff. And to be fair, it looks really stunning. Mark from uh, the garden in Paris Court did our flowers. Wow. I love you, Mark. And yeah, we gagged them. We absolutely <laughs> gagged them. <laughs> so you're 10 years married next year. Yes, and we're wow. getting married again. <gasps> yeah. Speaking of ceremony. Yes. And this time it's his turn because our first wedding was so much more about me. He had friends and colleagues and some family there, but they were outnumbered like three to one at least by my family. <laughs> and we were in McGrattan's, you know, names over <laughs> on the your door. Turf. <laughs> on my turf in the center of Dublin, you know. Um, so we're having a Brazilian wow. wedding in Bento Gonçalves, which is the town that he grew up in in the oh, south of Brazil. Incredible. More for his family. Hopefully mm -hmm. some of my family will be coming. Well, I know they will and some friends, but more to balance things out, more focused <laughs> on him. But also I basically said that I will definitely have a hand in what we wear, what we both wear. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, him and his mom oh. can just make whatever decisions they want. And we will. Freedom. <laughs> and oh, we have we'll to do. wait for the Instagram of this. I'm so <laughs> yes. And we'll just do whatever you want, you know, because uh, A, I already did all that stressing and working. Hmm. And B, it's not my turf. So whatever the done thing is, oh, let's go what for it. it. What a roller coaster to get on. Just yeah. get on it. Yeah, yeah it what goes. an experience for you. You yeah. mentioned there about, um, about the subtle Star Wars theme. Yes. When I did a little bit of internet stalking on you. Uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. And I saw that you mentioned, um, your, I don't know what words you use, but your kind of spiritual icons were Yoda and Dolly Parton. Uh -huh. And I was like, yes, I love that. Gosh, yeah. And I love that you've did given thought that? to that. You did. <laughs> well, I think you were talking well, about your home as well. And uh -huh. yeah, it was actually, it was a lovely article. <laughs> I is, really enjoyed right. it. Is spirituality important to you? Yes. And I, I, yeah. like, I think Star Wars, for real, I often joke about yeah. it, but the, the Jedi's because such a young age, the Star Wars movie came out when I was about four or five years old. I was so into it straight away. So that was yeah. what I watched as a kid, all of them over and over again, mm -hmm. had all of the little figurines, read all of the books. And I guess even as a queer kid, I wasn't relating to the church, whereas mm -hmm. Yoda, I was really into him mm -hmm. and the idea of good and evil and spirituality and be able to change mm -hmm. things with your mind. And, you yeah. know, that all of these things really appealed to me. It makes a lot of sense. The yeah. Jedi as a faith path actually makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. Because that's what we're kind of doing with this organization is trying to find a way that people can have a place to place what might usually be called spirituality. I don't even like that word. Whatever. Uh -huh. If we have a new suggestion of a word, please share it with us. But something that there's something more, where to place that. And I mean, entheos means it's the root of the word enthusiasm, which means inspired from within. So if we could all be a little bit more in touch with our enthusiasm, that would drive the world in a beautiful place for all of us as individuals. Um, and Dolly Parton is such an icon as well, because she's just such a representation of kindness in the world. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Kindness and thoughtfulness and glamour and beauty, because we shame glamour and beauty and we uh -huh. stigmatize like she's she's known for the big boobs and they're fake. Ooh, so bloody what? She goes out there. There's something about, actually, Viv, Ms. Viv talks about um, glamorous resistance. Yes. I, I adore that. that. Me too. And I have a piece as well. I wanted, I keep meaning to write something about reclaiming elegance because elegance has somehow been made a part of the patri patriarchal vision of what feminine should look like, uh -huh. should be elegant. Uh -huh. I mean, you want to go, fuck that mm -hmm. and still be elegant uh -huh. that's my prerogative uh -huh. and yeah and glamorous resistance feeds into a similar theme. absolutely and viv is so elegant you know in yes. her choices 
Yes. Viv yeah. war. I've got, I don't know what the right word is now. <laughs> now, what? just for people left. Oh, sorry. Yes. Viv was recently in the Gay Theatre performing in yes. an octave apart. Only an octave uh, apart. Yes, only an octave apart. So go look her yes, up. Incredible yes, yes. artist. And I'm obsessed. Um, Viv wore flats on the stage and made them look glamorous. Yeah. I'm sorry now, but that's amazing. <laughs> that's like a feat in itself. And there was one point in the show where she comes and sits on the edge of the stage. And I have never seen anybody be so elegantly beautiful and vulnerable somehow in one moment of just how she sat on that stage. The, the, the motion of getting from standing to seated on the edge of a stage where there's a person in your lap, <laughs> pretty much. Uh-huh. And it was so, there was such a tenderness in the moment. Uh-huh. I was blown away. I just thought, oh, this is like <laughs> iconic. I'm smiling it, so yeah. much, you know, because I'm very intimate and friends with Viv and I love her to bits. And she is very tender and very yes. poised and all of those things yes. that you're yeah. describing. And I love watching her perform because I can see how bewitching she is to everybody yeah. in the room. Yeah. And she's always like that to me. She gets tender. Mm. She is, she was tender to an entire theater. Yeah. Um, and the tenderness in one of the songs where she comes in and begins to sing, don't give up that one. Oh, I mean, I sobbed. I sobbed, sobbed, sobbed. Yeah. And I came out and I had to get myself together. I couldn't stop. Uh-huh. But it was the tenderness because I don't think anybody gets enough tenderness. Uh-huh. I think we're all sponges for tenderness. No matter how much we get, we can still do it more. And compassion, no matter how much we get, we never get enough, but we can still do it more. Yeah. Um, I think and anybody that brings that to the world, oh, I just think drink them up. It's amazing. Veda, we could keep it. you here literally all yeah, night. Yeah, I want to. I know, but <laughs> you know, nice place. there's a world out there. So yeah, we will yeah. we will wrap this up. But one thing that I wanted to ask earlier on, you touched on it. You said that you do your bit of meditation. Yes. What could you give us a couple of things of how you? Mm, how am I going to phrase this? But basically, connect with yourself and allow yourself to stay aligned, so you can be out in the world doing what you're doing. Well, I have an app, um, Chani Nicholas is the app and it's an astrology app and I'm not always that big on astrology, but I enjoy it. But why I love this app so much is the guided meditations that are in it. Um, and I use it, you know, as kind of a tranquilizer. And if I'm in the shower having the aggressive argument with myself or someone else in my head yes that's the day when i think to myself before i make any moves i need to connect with some better part of myself (laughs) you know because for whatever reason whatever my triggers are i'm not there right now um there's this song by martika that was uh, co-written with prince called love thy will be done oh i love that song i love that song um i have a few other songs like that that i i turn to at moments like oh, that one that i guess are spiritual for me yeah and just remind me of what what it is that brings out the best in me where i make my best decisions and those are normally come from the understanding that we're all connected you know and that, oh, they found me. <laughs> Time's up. Just yeah, just the understanding that and that all I am is just a, a thread in a fabric 
that is a much bigger scene. And certainly mm. with the activism, just a drop in a wave of change. Mm. And that then I don't feel so responsible. I don't feel so stressed out. There's a lot of work involved, I guess, in <laughs> what we're doing. Mm. Yes. And meditation just brings me back, I guess, to a place where I can make the best decisions, not just for me, but, but you know, in the hopes that they're the best decisions for everybody. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing Before that. Before we finish up, I want to tell everybody to go and listen to your song. Yes. Oh, sure. I came out one night. I, I came out or I went out one night? I came out, I came out one, one night. night. Yeah. It's, okay, that's um, your homework now. <laughs> I messaged you during COVID randomly one night. I it was, it, whenever it was during lockdown and it, I had, you posted it on Twitter, I think, and I, I listened to it and I was so blown away by it that I immediately messaged you like, a, like I like to be like a lunatic, you know, and just message. Um, it's just such a phenomenal piece of art. Thank you so much. And such a statement of... Oh my God, so much of everything. Mm -hmm. So listen to it. I'm not even, I can't do it justice. Everybody Funnily, needs to listen to it. Yeah, we were all at Only an Octave Apart in the gate and we all got to see Viv and Anthony perform. And um, they came to my show on the Wednesday night after mm. their show. And I was so inspired by them, like I always am, that I decided to perform a couple of my own songs, including mm -hmm. that song. And boy, was I glad that I did. Like yes. People ate it up. But also, yeah, yeah. they really appreciated it. And as queer artists and, you know, and creators, it just felt really great to... They already were aware of the song, but to present it yeah. to them as a thank you and an acknowledgement yes. of yes. their own queer joy and brilliance that they brought yeah. to all of us in the gate so yeah. it felt like just and they really shared it nice on instagram balance. and i saw it on instagram which we love that amazing. too <laughs> <laughs> that share it, share it. veda thank you so much for coming in to speak to it's us it's been a pleasure oh, truly you. been inspiring yes. Yes. thank you so delighted thank you